We are live now on the Conversations That Matter podcast. It's been a while since I've done a live stream. And uh, looks like I'm already having trouble on Rumble. It's not going to Rumble. So sorry for those waiting on Rumble. I will upload it to Rumble later. But we're live on Twitter, on YouTube, and on Facebook. And uh, it is good to see everyone in the chat, uh, who the people who are coming on uh, already. And um, yeah, there's there's a lot to talk about out there right now. I know the Southern Baptist Convention is having its own drama right now, which uh, later in the week I do plan to talk about if time allows. Um, if not this week, I'm sure it'll come up next week. Uh, also, um, I've had a number of conversations just to let everyone know with people from Inside Crew, uh, the formerly Campus Crusade, the um, organization mostly known for college ministry, but of course they have a number of different uh, ministry organizations within their organization. So uh, there, there's a lot going on. And um, I noticed last week there was uh, a lot of uh, people were actually asking me about Robert E. Lee because I've talked about Robert E. Lee before. And there was a lot uh, going on with uh, a, I, I guess it was the Charlottesville statue, which I've actually, I have a picture of myself in front of it right before it was removed. Uh, they melted it down. And um, yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on a lot of things, but I wanted to just kind of ease back into things a little bit here and talk about something uh, historical, hopefully helpful for you regarding uh, the day. Today is the 31st of October. It's known as Halloween nationally, uh, even internationally. And um, I, I just thought that would be a more helpful thing to talk about, even though I, I do realize many of you want me to weigh in on some of the recent controversies. And uh, if there are people in the chat and people... Um, who uh, I know we have a few patrons who uh, have some comments to make later on in the podcast. Uh, if they want to bring up something else, I have no problem talking about something else. But uh, today is going to be about Halloween primarily. So uh, with that, I just wanted to start off by thanking everyone for your prayers, uh, your support. I've gotten some just very kind letters and messages from many in the audience uh, regarding uh, just the trials that my family has been going through, and uh, and and it really has been a trying season. Uh, I I think this is one of the saddest things, if not the saddest thing, I've ever lived through. Uh, specifically, um, my mother-in-law's passing. She was uh, only 56, and so it was a little bit of a shock. And um, and of course, uh, I've just been spending a lot of my time comforting my wife and, and the family lives. Uh, thank goodness we lived in Virginia for years and we thought about even staying there indefinitely. Uh, and we moved back up two years ago. And part of the reason was family. There were, there were some other reasons as well. We decided to do that. And I'm just so thankful we did now. Uh, her family's about an hour away and the ones that were out of state flew in. And so we're able to see them. So I was driving last week, just about every day, uh, out to where they live. And, uh, that's just, it's part of the healing process to be with family, uh, people who knew her mother well. And, uh, we had a, I think a God glorifying funeral and, uh, I got to share, uh, and, um, it was, it, it was, the weather was amazing too. I have to say, I, I think the Lord was gracious to us because, especially in the Catskill Mountains in late October, some of our worst blizzards are at that time. And we had a day that was, I think it was around 70 degrees. It was sunny. Um, it rained very briefly and then dried right up. It was, uh, it was a pristine, beautiful day. One of the most beautiful days of the year with the fall foliage. And those of you who follow me on uh, social media. I think I posted it on Instagram. No, maybe I didn't. I'm, I'm barely post on Instagram. I might've, uh, but at very least Facebook. And I think I posted it on Twitter. You can see some of that beauty. Cause I took a, a bike ride the day before I was just so exhausted from everything the last two weeks. And one of the ways I relax is I, I will take a bike ride or I'll go hunting or something. And, um, and, and so I took a bike ride and it was just so beautiful, uh, when the leaves start changing. So Anyway, we thank God for that, and I thank you for all your thoughts uh, and your prayers and your encouraging messages. I know many of you have gone through similar situations, and it's always helpful to hear from people like that because you know uh, exactly what it's like. And uh, even if you don't, though, it, it, it's still encouraging 
Um, speaking of hunting, I should, <laughs> I was actually just outside before the podcast. I'll just say this briefly, uh, for those who appreciate the personal asides, um, for the first time I've ever seen this living where I live, I live in, uh, Highland, which is, it's, it's not in the Catskills. I'm close enough to the Catskills. I can actually take bike rides there. You know, I'll go, yeah, I don't know, 35 miles or so. And maybe I'm at the base of them or something, but, um, where I live, we haven't had issues with bears. They, they come down from the mountains occasionally. Well, last night, <laughs> I uh, with, with everything else going on, right? Um, some of you know, I, I, I've just had a bunch of stuff. Tur uh, fire, or not fire ants, um, carpenter ants ate out half my closet. And as we're grieving, I'm trying to do drywall and, and get that all in place. And around midnight, I hear something outside. And so I, I look, I have a little security camera. I turned it on. And sure enough, there's a black bear and it wasn't even a small one. It was a big black bear. Uh, I would say medium large. Uh, so I don't even know what the pound, like, like how many pounds that would be. But, um, but I've seen other bears in the mountains and this, this was on the bigger end and it's in my trash can. <laughs> and I, I go outside and I try to scare it away and it's just waiting for me. It, it runs about maybe 25, 30 feet and it just stops and it sits there. And, uh, and it waits for me and, um, and, and I'm, I'm just like, it's like a standoff, right? It's like a Mexican standoff and I'm waiting to see where it's going to go. And I thought it had left. And so I pick up all the trash and sure enough, I get out there this morning. Nope, it didn't leave. It came back out and, uh, and went through my garbage. So we're going to have to double bag things, but anyway, it is bear season. I just live too close to neighbors to, uh, to take advantage of, uh, of that legally. Um, not that anyone wanted to know that necessarily, but I figured some of you might find that interesting and it was a new experience for me. I haven't had that before. Uh, so anyway, uh, lots of encouraging things. Uh, thank, thank you everyone who's in the chat right now saying encouraging things. Um, someone asked, uh, I'll answer this before we get into the Halloween stuff. Um, John, how did you and your wife meet? Man, that is a long question. Uh, uh we, it takes me sometimes like 40 minutes to tell that story. But I'll give you like the 30 second version. We actually met at a college career group between our homes. Um, probably. Well, now, I guess it would have been over eight years ago. I was um, on my I was actually going to seminary in North Carolina and I met her right before I left uh, for seminary. And so it was a long distance relationship for a little bit. But then um, but then I moved back up and we got married and. Uh, we were here for a year and then I went back down uh, and, and with her with me and we completed it. So my seminary career is kind of broken up because of that. But uh, we yeah, we met at a college career group. But there, there's some very interesting things. Hopefully at some point I can share on the podcast regarding that. But, but that's the long and short of it. OK, um, let's let's start off with the Halloween stuff and then I'll take some questions and uh, comments and we'll go from there. Uh, I want to read for you. This is a, um, I don't know if I can pull it up. Let me see if I can pull it up. Uh, I have a, a, an article. It's not posted yet. So you're getting the preview here on uh, TruthScript. In fact, it hasn't even been edited for grammar and all of that. So hopefully my grammar is okay on this. Um, let's see here. I should be able to pull it up for you. Yeah, I can. Okay, there it is. You can't really see that, though, can you? So I, I'll, I'll just show my face, I guess, and read it to you. So it's it's an article for TruthScript. And um, yesterday, I I had to do a bunch of stuff outside. And as I was working outside, I listened uh, on Audible to some uh, books. I listened to, uh, funny enough, I've never read The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. I've seen renditions of it. And I live not far from Sleepy Hollow. In fact, up the road from me, is something called the Headless Horseman, which is apparently internationally acclaimed. People come from all over the world and, and they know about it in England. And uh, it's uh, a, uh, I guess, a scare park. I don't even know if you want to call it a park. It, it I think, would belong to some farmers, but they converted it, at least this time of year, into a, um, a Halloween kind of celebration where they have uh, like a maze you go through and people scare you and it's ghoulish and there's magicians and there's all kinds of things. Um, as a kid, apparently my wife had gone to that and um, she told me, this is 
I guess interesting. She said that it, it's not, you know, there, there are things that are just kind of your, your standard run of the mill, innocent kind of fun things that are associated with Halloween, but they had a, a magician there who was doing, who was praying <laughs> to something or someone before doing his tricks. And some of them were, were pretty crazy, like levitation and things like that. And, uh, and it just gave her this a creepy feeling and, and they never went back. And, uh, and that's the reason I'll never go to something like that. It just, I, I just don't want to be associated with that. I, I actually grew up, uh, not, I don't think we ever celebrated Halloween. We had costume parties and harvest parties and, um, the church did some like uh, reverse trick or treating where you would go and you would try to give things to the people that you're, I don't know if that went so well, because the standard is people are giving you candy. You're trying to give them tracks or, or whatever we were giving them. Um, I was a little older when that happened. Uh, but we never like called it Halloween and celebrated Halloween, but we did funny enough, a lot of the Halloween, like the standard Halloween things like eating sloppy joes and pumpkin carving. And, um, uh, we, we ate candy, we dressed up in costumes and we, we had a good time. And, um, it's it's interesting because as I think back, I, I I think about like like people ask Christians who didn't celebrate Halloween, do you think you missed out? And the thing is, like, I don't really think I did. I think like I actually did most, if not all the things that a kid would consider exciting on Halloween. Um, we didn't really go trick or treating. But part of that was there was a big scare at the time and it's still out there to some extent, but people putting like razor blades and candy or poisoning candy. And so I think that was more of my parents concern. Uh, but of course they didn't want to be associated with the pagan aspects of the holiday. And I think that was wise. I think the way I, I brought up makes a lot of sense. Um, but not everyone comes to the same conclusion on this. And I think it's helpful to maybe review some of the, the, the history of, of the holiday, how we got to the point we're at today. And then, how should Christians uh, think about that? So that's what's on the menu today. I'm going to read for you this essay, uh, and then we're going to get to that. And for those um, who are waiting to come on in the chat, uh, give me about 10 minutes, and I will uh, go through some of this, and I'll stop halfway, and we'll um, and, and we can ask. I, I can answer questions or or uh, receive some comments. Anything anyone has. So here's how the essay starts. It says, "For I said, for many Christians, especially those with children, navigating Halloween can be awkward." There are many opinions on what constitutes an appropriate level of participation. Some believers think any involvement is sinful, while others believe the holiday is harmless in its commercialized form. Many churches sponsor creative alternatives such as trunk or treat or reverse trick or treat. Children can dress up as their favorite Bible characters and use the event as an evangelistic endeavor. But what's the right approach? So when I was in Virginia a few years ago, I remember that was a big thing down there and and it was not anything like the celebrations I saw in New York. I mean, in New York, people decorate their lawn. It's ghoulish. Uh, it's more focused on the the magic and the witchcraft and, and the, the darkness of the whole thing. Uh, and then, of course, in Virginia, it was more uh, the innocent kind of 1950s Halloween. I mean, there, there was like one yard I can think of where they made it ghoulish. Everything else was just pretty standard. Um, costumes and, and that kind of thing and churches did trunk or treats and i never went to one i just i had friends that did though where uh where, where you could take your kids and you could bring them to the church where it was safe to get candy or whatever you know they were giving out and uh you would you would go to like different different spots it was, so, so it was kind of like a safe trigger treat kind of environment that's as I, I, at least as i remember it being practiced uh, we had at the church I attended, um, a good friend of mine actually uh, put on a, a Reformation fair. And uh, I was I dressed up as John Knox and I, I had to I learned everything I could about John Knox. I had a Scottish accent and then uh, kids would come in. And it was like a little festival. They would go to different like uh, they would play games and get candy at different booths. And they would learn about different reformers. So you had someone dressed up as Martin Luther and John Calvin and all that kind of thing. So we, we did the Reformation Day kind of alternative, but that was something I don't I don't know if uh, other people grew up with that. I mean, to me, that was something that kind of came with the uh, resurgence of reform theology. Maybe 15 years ago, you started hearing about that. But before that, it was like harvest parties or trunk or treats or that kind of thing. 
So anyway, um, I think it's important to get into the origins of this because this is, I think, the main dividing line with what Christians do with this celebration, whether they abstain completely or whether they, and, and some of them think everyone should abstain. And then there's others who think it's fine to participate. And I think the dividing line, a lot of it comes down to what you think the meaning of the holiday is. So this is what I write. Much of the controversy surrounding Halloween stems from assumptions about its pagan origins. Many believe a direct line exists between Samhain, a Druid harvest festival, and our modern celebration. For over 100 years, sources such as Ruth Edna's Kelly's Book of Halloween trace many of our modern customs, such as revering black cats, bobbing for apples, and jack-o'-lanterns, to Druid rituals. And that, that's one of the books that I was listening to yesterday. Uh, I think it's from like 1911. And uh, she... Uh, does trace a lot of these things. I get the impression from the book that she participated in some of these things and um, uh, not necessarily the bobbing for apples and the black cats, but like uh, she, she, she says at one point that she's seen, I think uh, leprechauns and uh, like different magical characters from Celtic uh, pagan understandings. So I, I get the impression it, it, she is advocating it. I don't know to, to what extent it's a scholarly study. Um, some of the things I've looked at since then, because I went online and I just wanted to see like how accurate her book was, seemed to indicate that she ha- was relying on some inaccurate sources for some of this. But it, but some of what she says is likely true. There was a holiday, Samhain. Um, and uh, there are some customs that we th- that have made their way from that holiday, at least it appears that way, to Halloween. Uh, you could say the same thing with other holidays, though. That's the thing. It's like not unique to Halloween. Um, even Christmas has certain elements to it in our, our modern co- commercialized form that can be traced in some ways to paganism, but they've been appropriated for Christian symbolism. So not everything, of course, but uh, it's a, I don't I don't buy this like, you know, Christianity came in and, and turned Saturnalia into Christmas. I think Christmas is its own thing. But there are other winter holidays and customs that people had in regions conquered by Christians that got mixed in. Um, is it syncretism? That, I mean, that's part of the question. I, it, it can become syncretism. But if some of these these things have lost their meanings completely and or they're, they're reframed completely in Christian terms, not necessarily. Uh, the Christ, Christmas tree actually may be one of those things. And there are many Christians who reject the Christmas tree because they, they do think that it, it is tied to uh, worship of Odin and, and, and those kinds of things. Uh, understand that. And I, I respect people who have that, uh, that belief. Um, I don't believe that myself. I, I have a Christmas tree. I celebrate it. I, we have a, a, an angel at the top of ours. Actually, no, we have a star at the top of ours. Growing up, it was an angel. And now that I'm married, it's a star. But, uh, but the significance of it is this is the star that the wise men followed, right? So I don't even think about it in those pagan terms at all. But, uh, but I, I, I digress because we're talking about Halloween, not Christmas. Uh, and, and of course some of these things I, I mentioned like black cats, I mean, there's just superstition around black cats. Like if it, if it's, they do certain things if they cross you or if they lie down and look at you and, and whatever they do, like it, it, as they interact with you, it means something about your future. Uh, jack-o'-lanterns, of course, there's a, uh, a Celtic and I think it's actually, this doesn't go back to the Druid um, the ancient Druid times. This is more of a modern, or I should say medieval thing, I believe. But the jack-o'-lantern... Uh, so- so we couldn't go to heaven. That, that do have... Um, claims Kelly who wrote to ensure protect uh, if you want to call them that but out and and you know in their 
a lot of level of success and wealth. is about dead and the living world that can then give you guidance in your physical world. So um, that's today's Halloween, but that developed over time. However, Ireland converted to Catholicism. Bonfires did not include human sacrifices and instead commemorated All Saints Day and All Souls Day, where they signified the light souls followed to paradise. So the Catholic Church uh, had they had Halloween, they had All Souls Day and they had all or, or All Saints Day and then All Souls Day. These are it was a three part celebration, three days. And the, it, it was all about commemorating martyrs, commemorating Christians from the past who have since died, um, a memorial service, really. Uh, Christians opposed Halloween, uh, opposed to Halloween, view this Christianization as a foolish attempt to mix Christian and pagan practices. While there may be some truth to this narrative, it does tend to oversimplify centuries of development, though. Many of the traditions associated with Halloween are uniquely connected to Christendom. The term Halloween itself, All Hallows Eve, uh, communicates Christian assumptions concerning death. It's a holy evening set apart. Um, the the sharing of soul cakes they're called to commemorate christians who passed away is as likely a story as any for the origin of trick-or-treating so uh the, the christians would um would share baked goods but they were in memory of people who had died uh, many of the images and sounds we associate with halloween such as graveyards and church bells did not exist in a pagan context in fact church bells in, in most of the halloween music you hear even the spooky advertisements, it all has these bells. Um, that likely traces back to uh, the celebrations, uh, the Christian celebrations surrounding this, where uh, they would ring bells uh, for those who had passed away. And so um, it, it's a commemoration, it's a memorial, but of course all of this is now mixed in. Robert Davis from the University of Glasgow believes that almost every feature of the pagan explanation of Halloween evaporates in the face of detailed inspection. The Sam Hain celebration contained neither veneration of the dead nor supernatural activity linked to the temporary proximity of the other world, nor other features intrinsic to the holiday. In other words, there are many experts out there today, not even Christians necessarily, but just historians who say it's the other way around. It's not that the Christians Christianized Sam Hain. Uh, it's actually that the Christians were the ones who first came up with Halloween, All Hallows Eve. Uh, and then it was pagans who have then appropriated it um, by mixing in similar pagan festivals like Samhain uh, that were that existed around the same period of time and connecting them um, uh, in some way. And so there's there's a paganization going on, not not necessarily a Christianization. That's an interesting thought. I didn't know about that until very recently, but it looks like the more serious historians actually who have really looked into this believe that that's the case and that the sources that pagan pro-pagan uh, people are relying on to show that Halloween was Christianized, it was originally pagan, they're actually relying on really scant evidence. They don't really have it. Um, it's it's a lot of assumptions. Uh, it's uh, there, There's a, a particular gentleman, I can't remember his name, in the 17th or the, the 18th century, who I guess a lot of this stems from, and he, he wrote down history of uh, the... Celtic peoples, and it was Ireland specifically, and most of it was was his opinion. It was assumptions, and they're relying on that. They're relying on source. They're not. They, in other words, they don't have primary sources for a lot of this stuff, uh, and and not a lot was written down. We don't have uh, an extensive record of, of these things. Um, we don't know a lot about the druid, uh, the, the the druids, and what they did. Uh, really past, you know, is the middle ages, really, when we start even seeing sources, uh, when others come in and start, um, start studying them. So, so a lot of this is speculation. Um, I'm going to stop there before we get into the modern celebration and, uh, just take some questions. Um, well, I noticed there, there were two, when I started there, I, there were two patrons and, and they're since gone. And I'm sorry if I went on for too long, <laughs> I may, maybe scared them away, but if they're listening still, 
uh, if you're a Patreon, feel free to jump on and we can talk about this stuff. Um, yeah, and, and Anita Smith says Guy Fox Bonfire Night. That's absolutely true. The, the Guy Fox celebration in England is probably more the source of the bonfire stuff today. It's probably not as much the... Um, now, you could say that maybe they got it from more uh, pagan pagan sources, but the Guy Fox celebration is a Protestant uh, celebration. Um, Robert Sparkman says, I think Jacob Grimm and Alexander Hislop were the two that spread a lot of that history. It could be, could be. I don't remember, I don't remember seeing those names, but it could be. Um, yesterday, Kathy Hart says, it just hit me as we gathered some German foods to celebrate Reformation Day today, that this is a holiday that I am thankful to celebrate, especially now that we are reformed. And, and that I do like, I mean, even if you do something for Halloween, I, I do think Reformation Day is worth celebrating. Uh, and, and it's bigger in some homes than in others and some churches than in others. Uh, someone says the live stream is having issues. If that, if, if any of you are seeing that, please let me know. I don't see anyone else saying that. Oh, so Anita Smith says it started getting choppy. So I don't know uh, what's going on there. That's uh, okay. Well, um, hopefully this is recorded and I can re-upload it if we have some problems with it. Sorry about that, guys. Uh, we're going to keep going here. And if anyone has questions, feel free to put them in the chat. And we're going to talk about uh, the modern celebration of Halloween. Halloween was not widely celebrated in America until the 19th century when waves of immigrants of Celtic descent came to the United States. Though it did appear on some church calendars in the southern states before this, it was not anything like it is today. The Puritans of New England completely rejected the holiday as they did Easter, Christmas, and New Year celebrations with their ties to paganism, Catholicism, and purportedly sinful customs such as dancing and plays. They inspired much of the Protestant resistance to these holidays in modern times. And I, I do think that is, as you see the, reform, the, the resurgence of Reformed theology, you got to understand most of this was a resurgence of Puritanism and to some extent Hyperianism. That's what I've seen, at least, mostly the Puritanism in the Reformed world today, which many of you listening uh, are impacted by. And thank God I'm impacted by it, too. I mean, this, this was uh, a resurgence of the, uh, the, the tulip and even the, the five solas. But um, it was very much a Protestant version of or a, uh, I should say a Puritan version of those things. And, and you, I don't think it's a coincidence you notice that Christians, more and more Christians taking stands against Halloween and Christmas uh, and substituting things like uh, like a, a Reformation festival of some kind, which isn't wrong. But I, I do think that that is probably part of the reason for it. Uh, the, the Christmas stuff, uh, I, I should say, I should clarify, it's not that they don't celebrate it. They just don't take part in, well, some don't. <laughs> some don't celebrate it. Some just don't take part in what they consider pagan aspects of it. So this was this was a unique to New England. This was kind of a, honestly, it's kind of a, an un, unusual thing, uh, at least when it comes to Christmas, uh, to not celebrate these things. Um, in the South, you did have more of that. And um, uh, it, it's ironic because today the Northeast, with its lore of witches and ghosts, such as in Salem, Massachusetts or Sleepy Hollow, New York, is in, internationally recognized as a place that takes the holiday more seriously than other regions. In other words, if you want to celebrate a real authentic Halloween, you go to the Northeast, you go to Salem. Uh, I went to Salem years ago, not for Halloween, but um, I, I didn't go to the, there's a big witch, uh, pro-witch presence. I mean, this is where the Salem witch trials happen. And so, but it's become kind of like a, a Mecca for people who are interested in witchcraft. That's where they go. And uh, the area I, I live in right now, South Hudson Valley is just like that. Um, lots of witch stuff. I mean, I've talked about it before in the podcast that I was even surprised in the last few years there's been such an increase in which shops and which books and books on spells and crystals and and all of these things. And it's it, it, it's obvious to me that we live in a post-Christian era, but secularism was not a viable option for spiritual beings because people are spiritual beings. And they it's it it only worked as a transition from Christianity to the paganism that's reemerging. A lot of it's new. It's not even it doesn't have like big connections to what they think it does like druids it's it's modern uh modern inventions but uh but that's what's what's happening and that's where people come to celebrate halloween in its most ghoulish and spiritual form now my own experience living in north carolina and virginia 
uh, around this time of year is that New York takes this much more seriously, but it's picking up steam around the entire country. Just check this out. From 2005 to 2023, Americans increased their Halloween spending fourfold. It was, uh, it was, I believe, around $3 billion in 2005. It is over $12 billion today. It's not a long period of time. I mean, that's in my lifetime. And it has become such a bigger holiday than it used to be. And the holiday is changing as well. Whether uh, the innocent costumes of parties for children or morbid spectacles for adults, the commercialized American Halloween phenomenon is a recent development that includes aspects from previous harvest pagan and Christian celebrations mixed with elements from Victorian literature and modern film. So you have things like Frankenstein and Dracula and all these scary monster stuff also coming in, slasher movies that are becoming part of the Halloween lore. Um, what the baby boom generation considered a traditional celebration of cowboys, princesses, and candy corn is increasingly focused on witches, magic, and alcohol. Now, I'm going to address the freedom in Christ issue um, in a moment. But before I get there, I want to go to Kim Murphy, who is uh, waiting there uh, to make a comment or ask a question. If you turn your mic off, Kim, I'll, I'll come to you. Um, so I'll give you a minute to do that. Uh, but I, I want to share with you a sponsor for this podcast as well. Uh, and that uh, I thought I had that queued up, but I, <laughs> I replaced it. Hold on. Here it is. It's Fox and Sons Coffee, Fox and Sons Coffee. And in fact, I am drinking. I'm not a coffee drinker, but uh, as you can see, I'm actually drinking from my mug some Fox and Sons coffee right now. Here's what it looks like. Uh, I'm, I'm drinking the, the Mexico blend. I actually like this, to be honest with you. I, I don't usually like coffee and I don't drink coffee. I'm a tea guy uh, more so. Uh, my wife actually started making chai lattes every now and then. I think those are good. But uh, but apple cider this time of year, maybe some mint hot chocolate. But I, I've never been a big coffee guy. And my wife, though, I mean, she needs it to survive. <laughs> Anyone else like that? You get up in the morning and you need it. Uh, it's just it's how you, you wake up and all of that. So. Uh, so anyway, she, she drinks a lot of coffee. And so, um, when Fox and Sons, uh, reached out to me, I said, well, I, I am, I, I certainly don't mind taking a sponsor, but I have to believe in the product and I'm not a big coffee guy. So my wife had to test it out and she, she assured me, she said, this is good coffee. Uh, she likes it. Uh, she appreciates it. And if you go to, uh, foxandsons.com, that's foxnsons.com, uh, you will find uh, ways to purchase, but you'll, you'll also find the story. And that's what I'm more interested in. Um, Stephen, who, who reached out to me, uh, is the founder of, of Fox and Sons Coffee. And he says, when I was growing up, I would often go to work with my dad on Saturdays. Those were special father and Sundays. We would go out to breakfast and we would he would let me have a cup of coffee. And so it reminds him of his dad, it reminds him of his growing up. And um, coffee was a big thing in their family. And so uh, that's part of his passion. And he has a number of different flavors. Uh, the, I think the Tanzania Peabody is my wife's uh, favorite, but uh, they have decaf. They have uh, a number of different uh, flavors here that you can check out by going to foxandsons.com. And uh, this is a, a Christian organization. I mean, as far as the, the owners, I should say, are Christians. Uh, you don't have to feel guilty about spending your money here and, and maybe even a, a, get a gift for other people who like coffee. Um, if you, uh, at checkout, put in John, J O N John, you will save 15% on your order. Okay. Well, with that said, I'm going to go to Kim Murphy. Kim, can you, uh, hear me? I can. Can you hear me? I can. Yeah. Go for it. So, um, I was really excited to see you back on YouTube. I've missed you. Um, been praying for you, of course. Thank you. Um, but this has been such a controversial topic in my life. I did not grow up in a Christian home. I grew up in New York, I grew up on Long Island, did not grow up in a Christian home. But I would say our celebration of Halloween was pretty innocent. Um, the Lord saved my husband and I when our son, our oldest, was a year old. And so we've done different things over the years. Um, but I guess what was most shocking to me, we lived in Virginia when we had our first two children and seem, things did seem more innocent there. And it was not a controversy or even discussed in our Reformed Presbyterian Church, just wasn't even a topic. But then we moved to New York um, in 2002 
had one more child. And so I don't believe that third child ever participated in Halloween, but it was really pressure filled. We lived in a neighborhood. And one thing I am super thankful for that I do wanna kind of caution parents with young children is my girls, especially who are the youngest, they were frightened by Halloween. And they really? were frightened by the decor, even in some restaurants. Long about, I'd say, 2008, 2009, we really had to stop going out to restaurants at all in October in the Hudson Valley. We lived in, in the Hyde Park area. Yeah. Because it was just too scary um, for my little girls. And I am thankful. I am thankful that their consciences were formed that way. And we encourage that. So we did not participate in Halloween at all. Um, we were the people that went somewhere else, went to a friend's house that lived in the country because we lived in a neighborhood. Um, now, here I am 26 years later as a believer, and I live in a neighborhood, in, in the city, actually, of Utica. And I've been really convicted by the world is coming to my door. Yeah. Whereas in the past, I would have had my light off and we'd go hang out with friends somewhere. So last year, I was very thankful to see, and this is my real point, and I know it's a little bit last minute, but Lamplighter Ministries is giving away a free download of one of their audio dramas. Um, it's called The Haunted Room. It has a fabulous gospel message as all of Lamplighter Ministry audio dramas do. And you can print off postcards or you can just print it off on paper, whatever you want to do. It has a QR code, but they've made postcards for people. So if you go to lamplighter.net, you can find those. You can print them off and I will be giving those out tonight um, along with some candy. That's great. Um, I don't say happy Halloween. I really try not to give any lip service to any of that. Um, but I'm also, my children are grown nobody's, you know, my little children are not here. Uh, I don't know that I'd participate with little children. It's a very interesting topic. Yeah. So you did uh, substitutions, I'm assuming like harvest parties, things like that. We did some, you know what, some of my friends and you would know, um, you would know many of them. Probably. Like, yeah. The homeschool <laughs> community in the Hudson Valley. Some people really, we got into discussions where even that was kind of giving in to the world. So we really just, we had plenty of people, you know, the area that lived in yeah. the country where nobody's going to come trick or treating at your door. And we'd really just have our own fun night. We would just yeah. gather with a couple of other Christian homeschooling families. We'd order pizza. We bought our kids candy. Um, I really never did. My kids are a little bit older than the trunk or treat kind of phase so we never did that but well, it's, it's still just interesting alive and well in virginia when i was down there i mean i had never heard of it until i think i went down there and a bunch of churches were doing it so um it was well, up yeah. here in central new york non-churches do it just all kinds of groups and you know i i don't know but i see lots of advertisements for trunk or treats but people will you know, they go, go all out decorating their trunks, but they're evil decorations right. and frightening decorations. So yeah, I, I don't know. I'm really conflicted. Believe me, a, a good part of me wants to turn out my front porch light <laughs> and like go watch a movie in my bedroom on the laptop with my husband and, you know, just pretend it doesn't exist. But then I have read from solid believers i have read things about the world is coming to your door mm -hmm. don't don't waste this opportunity and we really we live in the city so yeah. i will have a hundred i will probably have a hundred kids i had about 85 i think i ran out of bags and postcards last year but i uh, i am excited about giving out the lamplighter download i have no idea how many children actually listen to it but i try to play it up when they come up to my porch so I'm yeah, they're great. I, I, I hear them on uh, Redeemer broadcasting yes. sometimes. Yes. And uh, yeah, um, but it's, it's always good to hear from you, Kim, and, and especially from a local. In fact, it's funny you, you mentioned, you know, you're in Hyde Park. We have a family in our church. Uh, you probably know them. I, I won't mention do. them on air, but they're <laughs> in Hyde Park. And um, I know my parents are going there. And I think a number of other people from the church because they have 
such a huge, uh, massive volume of people that come to their door and they're going to all help give out, uh, I guess, gospel tracks along with the candy. Um, and, uh, in my area, I just don't have to deal with any of that right. because no one comes to my door ever. Right. Well, <laughs> a we bear, lived... uh, bears come to my door, not right. people. So we lived in Clinton anyway. corners in Northern Dutchess County for the last 13 years before we moved to central New York and same, it was a country road. Nobody came by. So that's why we could, we could hang out with our friends. But I will say, I loved the, I forget who you were talking about. Oh no, it was when you dressed up as John Knox. I love Oh, for that Reformation, idea. yeah. Yeah, I, I think that is a fabulous idea. Of course, it's come across my mind before, but I never really thought hard about how to do it, but different booths se um celebrating or informing kids oh, it was and whoever. Great. I yeah. I and and I go to a Reformed Baptist church here and I bet if we pitched that idea people would be all over that. Oh, I'm sure they would. In fact, I'm looking for the photo and I can't find it right now of me dressed up as John Knox with my wife. My wife was a uh, trying to remember. She was in the Martin Luther booth. So they didn't let let her come to my booth. Which was kind of. Yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> um, she, But she was dressed up, I think, as uh, Martin Luther's wife or something. So um, so so it, it was it, it was just fascinating uh, to, to watch that. It was very successful. I mean, kids came from all over and they had just as much fun because they're playing different, oh, yeah. uh, you know, yeah, it, like pin the tail on the donkey becomes pin the theses on the door, yeah. you know, things like oh, yeah. that. Um, so I I'm very creative. I can organize and I can get yep. people to, to participate, but I can't think of the things. If I had somebody else who could be creative and think of the things to do, or for that matter, if your your former church would just tell us what they did, we'd do it. Well, I tell you what, it I don't think they do it anymore. It was a Aww. close friend of mine who did it and he ran the whole thing. Uh, I think he did it for two years. And um, I, I'm sure that he would be happy because he loves the Reformation to uh, talk to anyone and give them the ideas he had. So if anyone reaches out to me, uh, I will give you his email privately and you can uh, hear from him uh, how he set it up. He did a great job. So um, I'll, I'll send that to you, Kim. I would love to have that. Yeah. That would be great. So. I'm sure. And and I can say, you know, like you said, you didn't miss, you didn't feel like you missed out. My children are 20, 22 and 26 today and they are perfectly fine and happy. They definitely plenty of candy in their life. They play dress up all the time. So yeah. Not a problem. Well, we, we didn't believe in Santa Claus either. And I don't feel like yep. I missed out on Christmas, you yep. know? Yep. Same. So anyway, well, God bless Kim. Thank you so much. Good to hear Thanks, from you. John. Have a yeah. good one. You too. Okay. All right. Well, um, we're going to talk a little bit about, I'm going to finish the essay here, uh, what Christians are to do. And we just obviously touched on it a little bit, uh, one option at least, uh, through a Reformation Day fair. Uh but uh, I don't know if that's the only option. I think there's a, a, a range of options depending on where you live and how this holiday is celebrated. So the all or nothing approaches to Halloween, I think, are easy. Uh, permitting full participation or banning all involvement does not require someone to think through the holiday, how it's perceived in your region, how Christians can use it as an opportunity for good, because um, you're just saying we're not going to have anything to do with it or. And, and that's actually a perfectly fine conviction if you think through it. But uh, there, there are my fear is that some Christians go either direction and they don't think through it at all. It's just we can either do it. It's fine. Or we can't do it because it's evil. And there's really not a lot of discussion. It's just uh, passing on the traditions that maybe they were born with or born into. Um, and. I, I think it's different. Uh, I know Kim just mentioned this, and uh, it's probably even since she moved gotten worse. In the area I live in, in New York, there's witch shops, there's spell books. Those are common sites. And Christians, I think, need to be careful with community holiday celebrations in a context like this, especially because it is not the same as Virginia or, and I shouldn't say Virginia because <laughs> parts of Virginia are probably just like that, but in, you know, like Lynchburg, Virginia, Western Virginia in uh, an Appalachian region, I don't think it's going to be quite the same. And so maybe you can participate in a community event in one of those areas, but, but here it's, it's a little different. And um, so I mentioned earlier that many members of my own church stay home. They hand out tracks with their candy to trigger treaters. That's the way they participate. And that's it. Uh, there are other uh, 
places where Halloween is not as attached to paganism. And it may be possible for Christians, I think, in those situations to go to community events, which are not much more than harvest parties with costumes. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that innately, right? And there are a variety of ways to celebrate the day and a range of ways, I think, to be involved. So, of course, if someone's conscience does not allow them to participate in any way, it is better to forego the celebration altogether, since whatever is not a faith is sinful. And Christians who have this conviction should be careful. They do not bind the consciences of others, though, uh, other believers who do not share the same conviction. So um, you think of the meat sacrifice to idol issue and how the Christians who um, participated in that were not directly participating in the sacrifice. They were benefiting, though, from the meat because then there was nothing evil about the meat. And so if there are specific things that are the Bible forbids, you cannot participate in them. There are some Christians though who have the, the conviction that I can't, this, this is a tangential connection of some kind, or I'm not directly connected, I'm not directly in sin, but it's too close. Uh, you, perhaps people who grew up with it, and um, they, they just, the association is too strong in their minds, and they can't do it. Well, they shouldn't do it, uh, but they shouldn't then tell other Christians, well, you can't do it either. You can't go dress up, you can't bob for apples, or whatever it is, because I have this conviction. So um, it is important, I think, at this juncture to remember that while Christians were permitted to eat meat sacrificed to idols, they were not allowed to directly participate in the sacrificing. And any celebration that includes seances or Ouija boards or drugs or other sinful activities are certainly off limits, as are celebrations that glorify evil. And I think that last part is where a, a lot of this is going. And a lot of Christians, I, I think Kim included in this, feel like, man, I don't know if I can participate. It's so ghoulish. The, it's not even cartoon skeletons anymore. It's like bloody uh, depictions that are just, they scare the little little kids. Uh, they scare adults sometimes. I mean, they're, they're just as grotesque as can be. And that's now becoming common fare. And so, you know, even if you go to like a, a celebration, a like say a community celebration where they have all kinds of different Halloween uh, themed things there and they're innocent, you're still going to see some of that stuff. And so, you know, that, that just takes, I think, some discernment and some just wisdom to see what's going, what does it look like in your community? Is that the way the Halloween is celebrated? And if so, maybe that's not something to be involved with as much. So Halloween presents Christians with choices and opportunities and levels of participation uh, that will likely look different in different homes, towns, and churches. In places where the Christian population is small, other community organizations will likely control the nature of public festivities. But in areas where there is a strong Christian presence, there are other options. And this is what I want to get across a little bit and, and maybe get people's wheels turning for next year. Uh, Christians band together to restore aspects of all, all Hallowtide, which is the three-day celebration. You have Halloween, you have All Saints Day, you have All Souls Day. Um, they, can, they, they, they can make a return to that if they want to. Uh, they can also, if they, if they don't want to do that, they can emphasize Reformation Day as an alternative if they prefer. Um, if, as many historians believe, Halloween was a Christian holiday hijacked by pagans, there is no reason Christians cannot reclaim the day for their own purposes. And perhaps some of the commercialized American staples, such as costumes and candy, can be mixed in with that. But whatever approach Christians take, there are many options approaching the holiday uh, for approaching the holiday with confidence and conviction. So that's the article that I wrote uh, about Halloween. That's my... Um, uh, at least uh, the way that I uh, approach this holiday. I think that there are multiple ways to approach it in good conscience. And I think Christians um, need to exercise discernment. And so uh, for some, it may be not participating at all. For others, it may be just using it as evangelistic opportunity. For others, it may be uh, having an alternative. And for others, it may be it's innocent enough. We can participate in the innocent side of this holiday. Uh, and, and maybe even um, harken back to uh, the, the Christian roots of the holiday without participating in the pagan stuff. So that's where I land on it. Um, and uh, that article should come out later today. And uh, it's not posted on the TruthScript website right this second, but it will be later today. Right now we have a Reformation Day uh, article I encourage you to check out. And I should say this too. I, I meant to say this a while ago um, in the update that I gave last week or two weeks ago. Uh, TruthScript really is the continuation in, in many ways of what I've been trying to do on the podcast. It's the institutionalized, more institutionalized form. Uh, 
more with, with more cooperation. It's 501c3. Uh, when this podcast ends, if it ends, but when at some point it's going to be scaled back more than it is now. Um, I still think there's some fights out there <laughs> that I need to participate in. And I need to get some books out there, at least one. I think I, I have at least one left in me. Um, and so don't don't think I'm going away right this second. But but as I said in the update two weeks ago, things may change on this podcast a little bit. I may get rid of Twitter. I'm, I've been thinking about it. I don't know if I can just stay on there without part. The hard part for me is participating in the food fights, you know, and if I can have self-control, I think it'd be fine. But I have a hard time with that. So, I, you know, whether I get rid of it or not um, and whether I scale back the podcast or not, the. The, the theology, the truth, the mission, all of that's going to go on. And truth script is one of those manifestations where you're going to find solid content, not just from me, but from others, not just articles like I just read to you that I wrote, uh, but from other people who have uh, similar beliefs to you. And we really want to get something out there that's an alternative to the gospel coalition. So I just, um, I, I don't see any of the money personally that comes into the truth script website, but it, it all goes to build truth script up to make the website better. Uh, to plan events. And we have some events planned for next year. And I just want to thank you uh, for those who who do contribute to what I'm doing, but also see the usefulness in TruthScript. And um, so I, I would encourage you to, you know, check that out, get on the email list. The articles uh, that come out of, of, of TruthScript are great. Um, there, I have a, a couple other things I'm doing too, just to give everyone an update. I probably later today, if not today, tomorrow, I am going to start uh, the heavy editing process for the 1607 project. Uh, we have a rough cut. And it needs to be scored. It needs to, a B-roll has to be added, but I'm starting that and it will be released in February. So I have a, a firm time, end of February, it'll be public. You can watch it. And, um, and that's going to take up a lot of time because uh, I don't usually do all the, um, the B-roll and, and a lot, I'm doing a lot of the heavy editing for this. So, uh, and I did all the filming. This is, this is very much something that I've been uh, participating in very directly. And so, um, you know, part of your support for what I'm doing also goes to stuff like that, which, uh, which you'll find out more about uh, next year when it comes out. Maybe I'll show you some clips on the podcast. Um, but all that said, um, I appreciate everyone's kind words and uh, just it, it just means a great deal. And if there's any questions or, or comments, I'm just going to go through those real quick and, um, and, and see if I can answer whatever people have out there. Uh, someone, someone asked, Matthew Fletcher asked, should Christians push the horror of the holiday? The Bible and the world are filled with horrors. Demons and dark forces exist. Non-believers are going to hell. How do we enter into this? That's a good question. So is there a way to even take the demonic end of it and, and, and I guess recognize it somehow? I suppose so. It's a, it, the thing is, I mean, Kim talked about how her kids were scared of these ghoulish depictions. And the thing is, in the world, more and more, you can't avoid it. There was a time I think you could, and now in certain areas, you can't. In my area, you cannot. I can't go into the grocery store and not be greeted with something ghoulish. And so what do you do when that happens? And I, I, I think preparing your kids for that is important. Um, teaching them the truth that, of, from the word of God of what demons are, how they deceive, uh, how they love death, and how they uh, kill, kill, steal, and destroy that's why they're evil. Uh, we don't celebrate them. Uh, we, uh, but we don't also, we do not fear them. We fear God. We, we have a, a healthy respect and that we're not going to be wise towards evil. We're going to be innocent towards evil and wise towards good. But James four, seven says you submit to God, resist the devil. He flees. And so we know that the God we worship is bigger than those things. So I think that's the message that kids need to hear this time of year when they're seeing those things. And maybe that can create an opening. Uh, but, uh, as far as celebrating them, that's not an option. I don't think, um, so I, that's my best attempt at it. I don't know if that hits the, the, the question directly, but, um, Stephen Smith says Christian churches need to start thinking about funding families in the USA to homeschool instead of sending money overseas to missions. We have to care for our own children. I mean, it depends on the church. You can certainly do both. Missions are important. In fact, uh, I'm kind of overdue. Everything that's gone on in my life has kind of prevented me from doing the um, uh, talking about what's happening in Nigeria. But I, I do think Christians, if they can, do need to be helping their brothers and sisters in Nigeria. But I would agree that those who are close in proximity to you are those who live near you. 
those who are in your families, those who are in your communities, those who are in your regions, uh, those who are connected to you uh, through heritage and through tradition, through language, those kinds of things. I mean, you, you have a greater responsibility there. That's the order of mares. And um, so it, it's a difficult thing. I mean, should churches be doing it? If not churches, I think Christians can set up organizations that will help uh, assist parents with the cost of homeschooling. Uh, frankly, we don't have, without homeschooling, we're, we don't really, I, I, I hesitate to say we don't have tr a, a Christian, tr uh, Christianity won't be passed down because it will, but the rich heritage is conserved in homeschooling now. It's, it's not even given any thought in public schools by and large. So um, I, I do think that is a, a viable thing to uh, consider at least. Um, <laughs> Sola, uh, Soli Deo Music says, what is a holiday? Does it come from Holy Day or is it just an occasion to celebrate sin? Christmas and Easter at least have some reference to Christ. I don't see Halloween that way. Uh, yeah, I mean, that is exactly what holiday means, Holy Day. And uh, I don't know if you were listening for the whole podcast, but um, the term Halloween actually means um, All Hallows Eve, Holy Evening. And uh, it's it's a Christian. Uh, the term is Christian itself. It, it arises from a Christian context. It's not. Uh, that's why Sam Hain is Sam Hain. It's a different. It's actually a different holiday. Doesn't mean that some of the traditions and so forth haven't snuck into the Halloween. But um, yeah, there would have been a time that Halloween was a more Christianized or at least a, a Catholic holiday. Um. We may decorate, uh, Kathy Hart says, we may have to decorate our yard with Reformation Day decor. Someone needs to get on that. Let me tell you, there is a business opportunity waiting for a Christian. I don't know if you want to blow up Martin Luther, uh, but something, something to uh, decorate for uh, that particular uh, event. Uh, what do you think about hell houses? Man, I don't even, you got me. You got me. I'm not even sure what a hell house is. I mean, maybe a scare, a, 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 like a scary like a fun house, but it's, it's supposed to scare you. Um, I'm guessing that's what it is. If that's the case, then I'm not interested in those. <laughs> I mean, I, uh, I can scare people myself. <laughs> I don't need uh, to go to a hell house. I can be scared myself. Um, I, my impression is that stuff is pretty ghoulish and just dark. And, uh, yeah, I did not, not something I would want to be involved in really. But um, I, I, I do understand to some extent people who like the adrenaline pump when they're scared, right? And it doesn't necessarily even have to be something that's grotesque. It can just be someone who startles you. Um, uh, oh, okay. All right. Christian evangelical to scare kids. I got you now. All right. Okay. I do know what this is then. Um, this is, there's a church in the area who did that like a decade ago. I remember this they had people came in and they would like play music that sounded like hell and try to scare everyone on Halloween that hell's terrible. What do I think about that? I think a lot of that's emo emotional manipulation. Uh, I don't like that. Um, now maybe there's someone who's done it right. I don't even know how you could do it right though. I mean, it's, we're not supposed to be focusing on, on hell to that extent. We should be talking about the truth of hell. We should be uh, conveying it accurately but when you make it i'll put it this way when it becomes mixed in with like the slasher movies and the uh the, those like uh, other halloween haunted house type experiences and you're going to do a christianized form then people come for the adrenaline they come to get scared they come they're not it, it, the focus isn't christ and that's my issue with that so Anyway, yeah, there was, I do remember a church. I could name the church. I'm not going to, I'm going to be nice today. I'm not going to name the church. <laughs> it was Pentecostal though. I remember that. And I remember people were scared. It, it, it's like, <laughs> like, what are you trying to do? Like, you know, you're, you're, you're teaching these kids to be scared of demons instead of to be scared of the Lord who will punish their sin. Right. That's the, that's the fear of hell. It's that it's not that the demons are there. It's not that you know, it's not the ghoulish stuff. It's that you've sinned against the holy God and his wrath abides on you. That's, that's the fear. So, all right. Well, I think I've said enough for this episode. I appreciate everyone weighing in. It's been almost an hour. 
uh, more coming. In fact, tomorrow, uh, about 4 p.m. Eastern time, I'm going to be releasing a show on the Greater Idaho Project, which I think is an innovative uh, approach to dividing a state up. I know. I know. We've talked about this in New York. Virginia's talked about this, even California. But it's actually a possibility that it could become a reality in Idaho. Uh, I didn't realize how far they had gotten. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, is this a viable way to try to conserve uh, Christian morals by separating oneself from urban coastal cities that tend to control states? So that's tomorrow. Uh, God bless. More coming later this week. Bye now.